Hey everyone, this is Guyan, your friendly podcast editor for Velocity. Uh, I just wanted to give you a quick little heads up. This sermon starts with a 60 second pause. It's just totally silent, so it's not you, it's not your uh, speakers, it's not your audio player, it's not the podcast audio. Just sit, relax, and wait for Chip to start singing. Oh, you can't hurry, love. Oh, you just got to wait. She said, love, don't come easy. It's a game of give and take. You can't hurry, love. Oh, you just got to wait. She said, trust, give time, no matter how long it takes. Which, uh, which was more annoying and more uncomfortable for you, me singing the Supremes? Or that one minute? That's 60 seconds of silence. I was having a hard time having eye contact with you. I was trying not to smirk, but it was tough. I don't think I did it very well. Well, good morning, my name's Chip. As Rob already said, I'm the Creative Arts Director here, one of the pastors here at Velocity Church. And today we're wrapping up our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And this is based on the book by the same title. It was my favorite book I read last year. I was really inspired by so many things in this book. So I was really excited when we were doing this series. And there's a tagline that we've referred to a couple times on the back of the book. I'll recite it for you. How to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually alive in the chaos of the modern world. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you just go, ah, oh, don't we all need that? More emotional health more spiritual vitality in the chaos of the modern world and how tough that is for all of us. And one of my favorite quotes from the book is what I want to talk to us about today. John Mark Homer says, hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. And I want to argue today, hopefully not argue, I want to argue today that love, the opposite of a love might not be hate. It might not be hate. It might be hurry. Jesus said a fascinating thing in the second, 22nd chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. So set this up a little bit. There were some religious sects. There was the Sadducees, and they tried to stump Jesus, and they didn't do very well, so Jesus just roasted them. But then the Pharisees said, well, I know what to do. They're going to test him. And I'm not sure what they were trying to do. They were trying to bait him and maybe say something, trying to, you know, get a gotcha moment in him. And so this Pharisee comes up to him, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, 
I think he was being sarcastic. Maybe not. I don't know. But teacher, you know, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So he's trying to test him, trying to bait him with this. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, in the original language, I don't think there's a period there. We just kind of put that in the English language. Like, okay, there's like this first commandment that all of the Sadducees and Pharisees knew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Yeah, check, got that, easy. But Jesus said, no, there's no pause there. There's no period there. The way that you love God is not by going to a worship service. I'm reading stuff into this here. But it's not just praising God. It's not just loving God. It's not praying and all that kind of thing. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's treating others as you want to be treated. Even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard of the golden rule to treat others as you want to be treated. This is exactly where it comes from. This is the originator of that. And Jesus says the way that you love God is by the way that you love other people, the way that you treat your neighbor as yourself. So I want to propose to you that love is the only thing that God cares about. Does that sound like hyperbole to you? I think that's the only thing that God cares about. Because when I read the New Testament, it is on every single page in the New Testament about God's caring about how we treat other people and how we love and how we extend God's love to other people. In the first week of this series, Rob had 10 symptoms of hurry sickness from the book. I'm just going to flash them up there for you. Irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, workaholism and or non-step activity, emotional numbness, out-of-order priorities, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors, slippage of spiritual disciplines, and isolation. And when I saw that list on there, when I read it in the book, I was, I was personally kind of convicted by some of these things, and um, I did kind of some personal inventory and looking in, and it wasn't really that fun. So I kind of came up with my own list to add to that. So these are my symptoms of hurry dis-ease. By the way, we call it disease. There's no Z in that word. Disease means that it is hard. You know, disease is like without ease, without easement. And so a lot of us have this hurry disease. And so this is my personal inventory of that. Uh, one, stressed. Stressed out. Stressed out because I'm maxed out. Anxious, worried, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, crabby. Just a little crabby, easily agitated by the simplest of matters. Uh, tense is another one. And I can feel this one, like when your neck like, tenses up and you're clenching your fists and your, and your jawline a little bit more. I notice I snap a lot more. Not when I'm singing Supremes, but like in traffic. You know, like someone doesn't go when they're supposed to go because they're on their phone. I'm like, let's go, come on, move it. You know? Uh, here's a big one for me, preoccupied. I'm somewhere else in my thoughts. I'm not a very good listener. Someone's talking to me and I'm thinking about my to-do list. I'm thinking about what's next on my agenda. I'm not present, not present at all in the present moment, off somewhere else. Uh, late. I'm never late, by the way. I'm always on time. This is the way life. I'm late, this is like I got too much. I didn't plan ahead. This isn't like I'm hurrying through life. Uh, depressed. I get down more in the dumps, feel sorry for myself, uh, withdrawn, I'm checked out, just kind of checked out in life, apathetic, and I don't have the physical and mental energy to, to be fully engaged with the people that I long to love and serve, and I, I'm not showing up for myself 
totally withdrawn. And these are just some symptoms of my disease. These are me on my worst days. These are me on my, my worst moments where I'm hurried, I'm rushed, I'm hustling, hustling for Jesus, crammed too much in the day because I've managed my time so terribly. And as a result, I'm the one who suffers. I don't feel good physically, emotionally, spiritually, no way, but the people around me, the people that are closest to me, the people that I love the most, they suffer as well. So when you think about these two lists, you know, the list from week one and then my own personal list, and we have those up there on the screen, let me ask you this. Does this sound like the definition of love to you? Does this sound like the abundant life that Christ has called us to? Does this, the way that we're supposed to love others, the way that God is supposed to live inside of us and through us and in us, uh, as we extend grace and love to other people? See, the Bible paints a very different picture of what love is, and maybe you've heard this chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding, this is probably the most famous chapter in the Bible which defines love. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse four, says love is patient. I love how that's the first one on the list. Love is patient. Already the opposite of that list. So follow me here, okay? Left-brainers, you're gonna like this, okay? Love takes patience. Love takes patience, and patience takes time. Now, hurried people have less available time. Consequently, hurried people love less. Get what I'm putting down there, left-brainers? I'll say it again. Love takes patience. Patience takes time. Hurried people have less available time, and hurried people love less. So, in an effort for all of us, to love others more by hurrying less. I wanna to submit to you five ways to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And this is taken right from the book. John Mark Comer has 20 of them. I just picked out five in the interest of time. Uh, but that word, ruthlessly eliminate, that phrase right there, I'm gonna take that seriously. I'm gonna be ruthless about this. This isn't just some cute little message, you know, you come to church, oh, that was nice. Like, I'm gonna be ruthless with myself and with all of us, okay? And I'm gonna give you some steps and I'm, I'm gonna be ruthless about it and I'm gonna say some things that you're not gonna like, okay? There's gonna be something inside of you that's gonna resist wanting to do them and the goal for us is to, as we're ruthlessly eliminating these hurry places from our life, is to create more space and time in our life where we have to wait. Isn't that the fun thing we all love doing? Waiting, being more inconvenienced? But I think if we create some space and some margins in our life to become more emotionally healthy and spiritually alive, that's going to help us in a lot of ways. In the chaos of the modern world, and here's the deal, folks, we all know this, that the world's probably not slowing down anytime soon, right? The pace is just gonna become ramping and ramping and ramping up, and so we better take slowing down Seriously, if we want to be about fully living ourselves and fully living for others. All right, so here's the first one. Take a day off. This isn't hard, right? This isn't too ruthless. I want you all to take a day off. A lot of us do this, work five days and take a couple days off a week. Now, this is one of the 10 big rules of God for the nation of Israel way back in the day. And I think it's pretty cool. You gotta love a God who puts that as one of his 10 big rules. Right, so like do not murder, check. Yeah, yeah, we all know it's probably not good to kill people. 
you know, don't steal. Okay. Take the pens from the, you know, office at home. Um, you know, don't cheat on your spouse. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. And then, uh, yeah, don't take a day off. Like, what? Okay. <laughs> like, that sounds kind of weird. Like, it doesn't, like, kind of fit in the list. Now, the book of Genesis tells us that God created everything, and then he rested. I don't think it was God was tired. You know, he's infinite energy and love. There's no way he was tired. But maybe he was doing something to, to model for us. Now, for him to give a commandment for the nation of Israel, Israel was an agrarian nation. So this was kind of irresponsible of God, if you think about it. He's pretty much just saying, hey, 14% of the time of your week, you're not going to work. And so if you don't work 14% of the time and you're an agrarian nation where you hunt and gather for food, this is like kind of irresponsible. You could, you could starve. You could die. And so what I think God was trying to do for that nation of Israel was trying to teach them to 100% fully rely on God, reminding them that 100% of their survival came from him. Not just where they did 80%, 86%, and then 14%, we'll just kind of leave up to God. Now, I've been in full-time ministry now for 26 years. And I attribute my longevity with that and for me to keep on going with this to this very simple rule. It's something I've been doing strictly for 26 years. And it has been so life-giving for me. Like one day at least on the, on the, on the calendar, on the, on the weekly schedule, or I just like block that out. It's more about what I don't do than what I do do. I just said doo-doo in church. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I just like block that out. That is like a day that I guard. I actually started calling it this year. I started calling it my mental health day. And I'm proud of that uh, because this is the day where I get my head right. And so here's a couple things that I do. Some are a work in progress with me. I haven't totally even mastered this after 26 years. Uh, but here's how to have a great day off, okay? One, turn off your phone. Ew. I told you it was going to be ruthless here, but see, can you, see if you can turn off your phone for 24 hours straight. Now, if you can't do that, and I, I rarely do this, by the way, so, but if you can't do that or won't do that, here's what I suggest you do is you temporarily delete problem apps off your phone. So every Thursday, I do this. I take a screenshot. I get out my addict folder. That's where I put my Instagram and my Facebook Sometimes I label that junky. It's just a good way to remind myself that I'm an addict and junky to these things, and I get them off. Get them off my phone. And then I go to my no MSM, my no mainstream media folder, because sometimes I think that the web and Twitter is like how you get news. Yeah. So anyway, I delete those four apps off my phone, and it's just because I, I don't have enough willpower to, you know, it's not that I'm really like tempted by it, but you know, you just go through the day, you turn on your phone, if those things are there, I'm just scrolling and spending hours on my phone. You know, I think the national average is about 4.5 hours that Americans spend on their phone for college students and high schoolers. I think it's like nine hours a day. And so at least one day a week, I don't want to be four to nine hours looking at a small blue screen. No, thank you. Um, here's a big one. This is something I started working on when I started reading the book, is to turn off all notifications, especially texts. Uh, I turned off all notifications on my phone a long time ago just because it was really annoying every time, like, you know, there's like a new bid on eBay on something you're watching or, you know, every email that came in. So, you know, most of us have silenced notifications on our phone, but, you know, texts, ooh, you know, someone's like pinging me. There's like a dopamine hit that happens every time like a text comes in my phone, like, ooh, I'm needed. Let me stop whatever I'm doing and uh, respond to this text message. And I think, you know, as you deliberately take off these notifications on your phone, especially on text, it just kind of, think about all the great conversations that have been ruined 
you know, you're talking to someone, we've all had this experience, right? And then someone's like, ding, you know, and they look away. How many great sermons have been hampered by the constant dinging of your phone? By the way, I had uh, Sarah text me every two minutes. Uh, I don't know if you even noticed it or not. You know, we got so jaded that we don't even notice uh, these little dings in our phone, so I'm gonna silence that. No more texting, Sarah. There's like 78 text messages from Sarah. Thanks for doing that, by the way. Illustrating the point, right? Those little things, we don't need to have those going off all the time, you know? Uh, try it out, you know? Yeah, I can still open text messages and find out what's been going on. I don't have to be like responding to every single text right in the moment, okay? That will help you have a, bit, a good day off. Here's another thing, don't watch TV. You know, it's like, oh, don't take away my TV. You know, it's like, I worked five days straight. All I want to do is just lay on the couch and watch Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Go, all that kind of stuff, you know. But you know that if you've ever spent a day or a weekend doing that, yeah, you thought it was going to be great, but you don't you get refreshment from your soul when you do that. So put down the TV. And when you put down the TV or you put down your media or whatever it is, you take your phone away, like, you're going to be kind of bored. So I suggest you go out in nature. Go out in nature, get some sunlight, get some fresh air, enjoy uh, the silence and the solitude. For those, those of you that are more extroverted, this is gonna be a tough one for you. The thought of that even, you're just like bristling right now. Ugh, going out in nature and being by myself in solitude, but uh, I want you to try that. All right, number two. This is one I've been trying for a while. Drive the speed limit and in the right lane. I'm hurting some people here. I've been doing this for about six months now, and this is probably my favorite of the list. This has radically transformed my life. Driving, because you know why? I'm a chronic speeder. Ever since I've been 16, mile, you know, 16 years old, I've been going about five to eight miles an hour over the speed limit. Because that's why I'm pretty sure that a cop won't stop me. Maybe. You know? um, and so that's something I've been doing. And why? I don't really know why. You know? I just like driving fast, as if 70 miles an hour isn't like fast enough, right? I mean, where do we get, <laughs> I don't know if this is like touching any heads or, uh, you know, hurting any souls here, but uh, this was a big one for me. So I started driving in the right-hand lane and the speed limit, just setting the cruise control, and I, it has chilled me out. First of all, I'm just noticing all sorts of things. I'm enjoying nature. Uh, I'm just enjoying the beautiful day. I'm listening to some music. And I did this experiment a couple weeks ago. I drove five miles an hour over all the way from my house to, to church here. And then um, I did it the next week driving the speed limit. And I got here two minutes and 17 seconds earlier. You know, if you think about it, like I didn't gain two minutes and 17 seconds. I, you know, I didn't sort of like, all I did was kind of transfer that from my car to, to here. And when I got here in those two minutes and 17 seconds, I'm pretty sure I didn't, come up with a cure for cancer, you know? I don't remember what I did, but I probably scrolled my phone, you know? So, uh, so try, try this out. This will be radically, here, I'll give you two more benefits, two more benefits of this, is that you're not gonna have anxiety like I constantly had when you see a police officer kind of hiding in the bushes. This happened to me this morning. I'm driving, I see a little police officer, and he's in the dark, and I'm, he's radaring everybody, and I'm just like, I used to, you get a sudden like burst of anxiety and then you're looking in the mirror, please don't pull over, please, I'm praying to God, please, 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 you know, pull over the bad guys, not me, I'm good. You know, hitting the brake lights. Now I just chill and just, yo, what's up? Another benefit, think of all the money you'll save on gasoline. I heard gas prices are kind of high right now, so uh, think of all the money you'll save by just, you know, consume, consuming less gasoline. Uh, there will be one drawback though. 
Okay, so I want you to prepare for this. It's like you're going to have a new sin to deal with, and that new sin is pride. Because you're going to drive in the right-hand lane, and you're going to notice for the first time ever all these people whizzing by you, and you're going to be like, <laughs> I wish they were as enlightened as I am. You know, where are they going in such a rush? Gosh, must suck to be them. They're hurried. They're stressed. They're worried. You know, so, so that, that's a sin that you're going to have to deal with as I am as well. All right, three, treat sleep like it's your job. Treat sleep like it's your job. I want you to think about sleep now as your job. A lot of you who have jobs, you try to do really well. You try to do great performance at your jobs. You try to get performance reviews, so you get raises and things like that. What if you treated sleep in the same way? Because most of us don't. Most of us think of sleep as like an afterthought. Uh, first of all, it's the second best thing you can do for your personal health. But think about this, life really slows down when you're sleeping. I know, what a concept, right? There's not much going on. I mean, actually, there's a lot going on with your body and how it's rejuvenating, but yeah, life, the pace of life slows down when you're sleeping. And so we need to be getting seven to eight hours regularly of sleep. And so do what you can to, to fix that. There's, I got a lot of helpful tips for that, so if you want to email me offline, if you're not sleeping seven to eight hours, email me at chip at velocitychurch.com, and I can send you and point you to some resources that I think will really help with that. Okay, before we go to the next one, I gotta warn you, um, I'm gonna go a little bat crazy on this one. Okay, four, cook your own meals. I want you all to eat in a lot more. Eat in a lot more. Sure, go to a restaurant. Restaurants are great. They cook your food for you. How about going just like once a month? Let's just start with that. Once a month, 12 times a year, you go to a restaurant. And if you're gonna blow your once a month restaurant, don't, don't go to some fast food restaurant. They, they call it fast food for a reason, it's fast. They don't call it good food restaurants, right? So don't blow your, your budget on fast food. And which makes me think about fast food and restaurants and packaged food and box food. Like how much, I'm gonna answer this for you. Let me say this. We think that taste is like the number one priority in our foods, because we all eat things that we like, obviously. But I believe that convenience is our top priority with most of our food choices in this country. Convenience. Convenience. As if the Chick-fil-A drive-thru wasn't convenient enough with the two lanes and the teenager with their iPad and all that kind of stuff. You know, if it wasn't convenient enough, now I can whip out my phone and I can get some 20-year-old in a Camry to come deliver my Chick-fil-A to my door and ring the doorbell and leave. Like, if that wasn't convenient enough. By the way, every time I preach up here, I like weaving Chick-fil-A somehow. I don't know how this happens, you know? I just like to poke fun at Chick-fil-A because, you know, a lot of times I think, especially in the church, we think that we're eating Christian chickens, so that makes it better. <laughs> in fact, if you eat at Chick-fil-A, you might not even be a Christian. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, gosh. Man, lighten up, Francis. Gosh, pipe down. Just kidding, I'm kidding. You're not gonna go to hell for eating Chick-fil-A. All right, you're still gonna go to heaven. It's gonna get there a lot sooner. <laughs> there are 55 ingredients in a Chick-fil-A sandwich. By the way, there's someone sitting over here that every time I talk Chick-fil-A, she does this. You know who you are. 
And so I want you to stop doing this right now because guess what? I've got really good news for you and anyone else. If you like Chick-fil-A, I have a Chick-fil-A recipe that you can make yourself. The ingredients are awesome. All you gotta do is email me, chip at velocitychurch.com, and I will send you the Chick-fil-A sandwich that you can make for yourself. And guess what? You can make it today. You can make it on Sunday. You can make this on Sundays, all right? You can make it seven days a week. So that is reason enough to make this Chick-fil-A sandwich. You know, perhaps Chick-fil-A closes on Sundays to kind of give your body like a chance to detox from all the poison. I don't know. All right, I'm done, I'm done. I won't bash Chick-fil-A anymore. I know what you're saying. I know what a lot of you are saying. I can't cook. I can't cook. I can't cook. My mom didn't teach me how to cook. My response to that is, yeah, you can. This is not rocket science, all right? If you have an air fryer, you can throw some chicken in there, salt, pepper, hit a button, come back in 25 minutes, done. If you don't have an air fryer and you can't afford an air fryer, you let me know. I'm going to buy you an air fryer. I'm serious. There are all sorts of modern conveniences in the kitchen that make cooking so simple. And there's so many ways that we can support our, our health, our emotional health, physical, all that with, with uh, these kinds of things. And, but maybe you're saying, well, I can cook, but I can't cook well. I can't cook good. And my response to that is, so what? So what? You're, you're not going to be Emeril overnight or, you know, Guy Fieri or whoever, right? You're, but you can take little steps. You know, the World Wide Web is a great resource to help you begin to cook and cook more, uh, cook more better. Uh, so preparing your own food is going to make you a lot healthier. It's going to be so much cheaper. Think of all the money you'll save. But here's the point. It's going to slow you down. It's going to slow you down. It's going to make you more mindful and make you more present. And I think that's reason enough. Okay, last one. Exercise by going for a daily slow... How many W's are there? Slow walk. Uh, first, a quick word about exercise. Walking is the most underrated exercise that humans can do. Here's the bad news and then some good news. Bad news is that this is not an optional activity for most of us. If you can walk, this is not an optional activity. This is not negotiable for you as a human being. We have to be in regular movements as humans. But this is good news if you're like thinking that exercise has to be hard. You know, you do not have to go pump iron at a gym. You do not have to buy a $3,000 Peloton bike. Um, you can get in outstanding physical condition just by walking. So it doesn't have to be the long, sweaty, barfy workouts for them to count. Okay? And for me, slow walks, they check all of the boxes. So they're great physical for physical fitness. Uh, you're getting fresh air, Outside, if you're doing this outside, not on a, on a treadmill under an ultraviolet light, you're, you're getting sunlight. Uh, mentally, man, I don't know about you, but I do my best thinking when I'm on these, these slow walks. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more creative. By the way, some of the great walkers in history have been people like Henry David Thoreau, Beethoven, um, Charles Dickens, just to name a few off my head. Like, they're really creative, artsy people who just went for long walks and got those creative juices flowing. Uh, spiritually, this could be a great time for you. I do my best praying when I'm walking. Uh, sometimes I'm listening to the Bible on my, on my headphones, or I'm listening to my, my favorite preacher, Rob, or I'm, you know, listening to, you know, worship music. Sometimes I'm listening to non-worship music. I know, I know. Sometimes I'm silent. 
sometimes I'm silent, you know, but this is a great, it's just checking all of the boxes. And if you have a dog, this is your built-in accountability partner, okay? So take your poochie out. Don't be a bad dog owner. Your dog wants to walk every single day, and so just have that as your accountability partner. But here's another thing about having a dog and taking your dog for a walk. I don't know about your dog, but my dog takes 87 smell breaks every walk. And I used to be like, come on, let's go, you know? And I stopped doing that. I stopped, if he wants to take 87 smell breaks, I'm going to just sit there and wait. He's so much happier. I don't know what he's smelling, but it slows me down on those like breaks. And that's a good enough reason to do that. All right, so that's the steps, at least five of the 20 that are in that book. Um, and maybe they don't feel like any fun for you, uh, but don't you intuitively know if you kind of think about those steps, if you, if you made those a regular part of your life, if you made taking a day off once a week a regular part of your life, if you drive, if you drove, driven, if, driving slower, if you slept better, if you ate better, if you got daily movement in, wouldn't your life be better? Yeah, it doesn't sound like any fun, but you know it. You know that your life would be better and that everyone's life around you by proxy would be better as well. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 11, says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I love this word that Paul writes, ambition. Make it your ambition, like your determination, your goal, your, your practice. And that tells me that leading a quiet peaceful, non-hurried life is, is not our MO. We don't come out of the womb uh, just leading a quiet life. We have to work at this and practice this over and over. So make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Well, that's timely advice for those of us on social media, probably. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Get a job, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I think these steps, if you do these things, they will help you win the respect of outsiders and that you won't be dependent or less dependent on anybody. And so I just want to talk to you Christians, you Jesus followers. Uh, we should be known for, we should be famous for being the most non-hurried people on the planet. Don't you think? Don't it, wouldn't it be cool if Christians were, were known for that. And as a result, we would be known for being the most loving people on the planet. And I don't think that's our reputation, at least in this country right now. I would say that the church's reputation as a whole is not known for being mindful and present and loving. We got a lot of work to do, and I believe it starts with that. So will you begin to take some steps this week? Will you begin to take some steps now, today, to slow down your life, to become more present, and by proxy, be more loving? Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we want to, um, I don't know if it's appropriate to, to apologize, <laughs> to uh, say we've blown it in this area so many times. This chaos of this modern world that we live in, we have not often uh, invested in our physical health, our emotional health, and our, our spiritual health. We have neglected these areas, not because we're bad people, but uh, we're just so easily distracted. And we pray, God, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would... Uh, give us wisdom with, the, with these areas in our life, but you would really challenge us and give us the courage to, to act on some of these things. It's not enough for us anymore to sit in a church service and to, uh, to love you. 
God, give us the, the resources to be able to extend your love to other people uh, so we, that we might fulfill your, your mission for our lives and for the world. We ask that in your name. Amen.